0: Good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you'd open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 7. Start tonight's sermon in the more customary Josh McKibben kind of way, opposed to the way we started this morning. Exodus chapter 7 is where we're going to begin. And in fact, we'll be in the book of Exodus uh, predominantly here between chapters 5 and chapter 12 or so. Uh, Really for the duration of our lesson, we'll step out maybe a time or two. It is great to see everybody, though, this evening. What just a fine, fine number we have in attendance tonight. What a privilege it is for us to be together in this assembly. You know, after this morning's lesson, uh, Brother Ed came up to me and he said, you know, I don't view coming to church as a sacrifice. I view it as a privilege. And you know what, in that sense, he's absolutely right. That is exactly how we ought to see this. It is an opportunity, it is a blessing, and it ought to be the very joy of our hearts that we're able to assemble before the throne of God and glorify Him and at the very same time edify one another. I hope that's what you've come here tonight to do, and I truly do believe that's what we've already done through the singing of those songs and through the prayers that have been offered. Let's do that now in the study of the Scriptures. In Exodus 7, beginning in verse number 1... i got a feeling when we get to the next slide, all of my points are going to already be up there and I'm not going to get to bring them in one by one, so we'll see when we get there. In Exodus 7, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says that the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Does anybody remember around this time last year when there was the big scare about the Zika virus? Heard about all that in the news? Or maybe you remember back in 2014 where there was a big uproar about the Ebola virus. Or maybe go back a little bit further back in 2009 when there was lots of hubbub and lots of scare about the swine flu. Or maybe you can remember all the way back into the late 80s and the early 90s when there was much to be said about mad cow disease. Even though there were relatively few cases of those diseases being reported here in the United States... That didn't stop the American news media from using lots of big words like contagion, epidemic, and yes, even the word plague. It's a plague of the Zika virus. It's a plague of the Ebola virus. That's really a favorite word of certain news media outlets that there is the potential for a plague. And yes, while there were certain parts of the world that were legitimately affected by those various diseases, Here in the United States, fortunately, that was mostly just talk. The talk of plague was really just, really just was a lot of scaremongering, I believe, that ended up preying on the fears of uninformed people. And I wonder sometimes whenever we just hear that word plague, even reported on the news, whether it's true or not, I wonder if maybe the reason that we recoil a little bit and we shudder a little bit is because of what we just read right here in Exodus chapter 7. Because God tells Moses that he had plans to lay his hand on Egypt in the form of ten disastrous plagues. You are, I trust, you are familiar with the story of the ten plagues of Egypt. I sure hope that you're familiar with that story, particularly if you're a member of this congregation, because our Bible reading program for this year, we've been reading in these chapters here in the book of Exodus already. Last week we began reading about the plagues and this week we'll continue that and finish up the story of the ten plagues. And as I was planning some sermons on the calendar to try and coincide with the various readings that we have week to week, I I just knew in my mind after reading this, I knew that I had to devote an entire lesson to this incredible event that we know as the ten plagues. Because it just highlights some very powerful and some very needed truths about God that are just as relevant today as they were all of those centuries ago when it all first happened. This story contains just a ton of ink. Think about it. It spans seven whole chapters. Which means then that it can be really, really easy for us to get bogged down in all of the very exquisite details that are given to us here in chapters 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12. But my goal this evening is not for us to get going off in a million different directions. My goal this evening is for us to keep the focus on the Lord. Remember, it is His story. The story of the Bible is His story. What then do the plagues teach us today that we can learn about the Lord, that we can learn about our relationship to Him? Let me share with you those... Here we go. Ah, yes. Yes. Those three big truths this evening that the plagues of Egypt still teach us here even in 2017 as we try to serve the Lord and as we try to be His covenant people today. First and foremost, and this was the first thing that jumped out at me, it may have been the very first thing that jumped out to you as you were reading in the book of Exodus, and that is that these plagues teach us, they teach us about the awesome power of God. You cannot read these chapters and not be awed by what God is capable of doing. And I must confess to you that after, after revisiting these plagues during this past week, I have decided that I am going to try to retire the word awesome from my vocabulary. Awesome is something that I shout at the television screen whenever Malik Monk scores 47 points against North Carolina. Awesome is what I use to describe the prime rib dip at Red Robin. It's awesome. And of course, awesome is what I say whenever I take this particular tie up to the checkout counter and find out that it's only $2.99. True story. And I said, that's awesome. It's $2.99. But you know what I've decided? I've decided that I'm going to retire the use of that word in that way because I don't really think that I'm using the word awesome in the right way. After reading these chapters, I am certain that awesome is not associated with anything that a human could ever do or create or even wear. Awesome is associated with the incredible acts of God. What God can do, that is truly awesome. Let's just stay right here in chapter 7. Let's just highlight some verses here. In chapter 7, as Moses and Aaron, they are sent to Pharaoh now, And he's already refused. Here the very first time, I've refused. I'm not going to let these people go. Verse 17 then, thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt and over their rivers and their canals and their ponds and all their pools of water so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Verse 20. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. And in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and he struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. You just try to imagine that. You're maybe sitting in an Egyptian Starbucks. One minute you're drinking your latte and the next minute you look down, you got a cup full of blood. What in the world is that going to be like? God's power struck that land in a mighty way. And that was just the beginning. That was just plague number one. Chapter 8 now, verse 3, the plague of the frogs. Chapter 8, verse 3, the Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. My wife is sick this evening. I wonder if she's sick on purpose because she didn't want to be reading thinking about these verses. My wife is terrified of the fraud. Think about that manifestation of that. How about in chapter 9? Chapter 9 verse 8. Chapter 9 verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took the soot from the kiln and they stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. What did that look like? What do you think the people thought whenever Moses gathered up all these ashes and threw them into the air and they dissipated in the air and then the next minute somebody looks down at their arm and whoa, look at all these sores. And hey, look at your arm. Look at all those sores on your Look at this over there. Look at that over there. All these boils breaking out. God... Did that. God brought that purposely upon the land of Egypt. What about down in verse 22 of that chapter? Chapter 9, verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. We we sometimes get some bad thunderstorms here in this part of the country, but it's nothing like this. Nothing like this. Continue on, verse 23. Verse 23. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. That, that is a storm unlike any other. Chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 21. Chapter 10, verse 21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. A darkness to be felt. If my wife's most feared of the plague is the one of the frogs, then this one is mine. That you could feel the thickness of the darkness. That's frightening. God's power is demonstrated again and again and again all throughout these plagues. Across this land of what was the biggest and the greatest empire of the day, nothing was too hard for God. Nothing could stop God. God said, and then God did. That is absolutely awesome. And while I'll probably just go ahead and admit... I probably won't do very well with my resolution about removing awesome from my vocabulary. I'm sure that if Kentucky beats Kansas next Saturday, I'm probably going to jump up and shout that that was awesome. The truth is, that's not awesome. That's not real awesomeness. It might be amazing. It might be surprising. It might even be incredible. But staggeringly beyond anything that we could ever imagine or do ourselves, this... Is the power of God. And you and I, we need to somehow take that truth and plug it into our lives. How do we do that? I tell you how we do that. We do that whenever we access that power in prayer. I thought an awful lot about this in the last week with the great number, and you noticed it this evening as Rick was making the announcements. The great number of this congregation who are dealing with health issues and very serious situations, and there's lots of concerns about those things. I imagine it's a very scary thing to hear the doctor say the word cancer. Or for the doctor to speak of some other kind of debilitating or life-threatening illness or impairment. But what we need to be reminded of is that we serve a God of awesome power. And that there is absolutely nothing that is too hard for Him. And these plagues, they've helped remind me of that, and I hope they remind you of that. And I hope they encourage us to put all of our faith and trust in the One who holds that kind of power. Let me then say secondly this evening, that these plagues absolutely teach us some things about the danger of resisting God. This is probably the part of the story that makes us kind of squeam and squirm a little bit, it makes us the most uncomfortable and it causes us to have the most questions. We ask questions as we're reading in these chapters about what's going on with this business of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. I've received that question a couple of different times for Q&A and I'm going to work on it right now. We've already noticed a couple of verses. We've kind of tripped over a couple of verses that's mentioned the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. But I want you to just notice actually how often that expression is used in these passages. Go back to chapter 7 again. In chapter 7, it's mentioned there at the top of the chapter, but drop down now to verse 13. In verse 13, the Bible says, "...still Pharaoh's heart was hardened." he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Continue on in that chapter. Verse 22. Verse 22, But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them. Verse 23, Pharaoh turned and he went into his house, and he did not take even this to Drop down to chapter 8 now, after the plague of the frogs. Chapter 8, verse 15 says, But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite from the frogs, he hardened his heart, would not listen to them as the Lord had said. After the plague of the gnats, or some translations differ on that, it might actually be the plague of the mosquitoes, chapter 8, verse 19 says this, Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened he would not listen to them. How about after the plague of the flies? Look at the end of chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. And then there's the pestilence that comes upon the livestock and destroys all the livestock. Chapter 9, look in verse 7. Pharaoh sent and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. Of course, all of his were. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. Now, up to this point, I think maybe we're we're okay with what the Bible says about Pharaoh's hard heart. Because these verses just really seem to just indicate a man who is extremely stubborn, a guy who is just extremely obstinate. Here's a guy who just he's just so bullheaded. And we're kind of over here saying, come on, man, what's the problem? You're getting clobbered here by the Lord. You don't stand a chance against the Lord. Just, Just bend your will to His. However, the very next time that we read about Pharaoh and his hard heart is after the plague of the boils. Look in chapter 9, verse 12 now. Verse 12 says, But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now that's a little bit unsettling. It does not say that Pharaoh hardened his heart. It says the Lord hardened his heart. In fact, in chapter 10, that's repeated several different times. Look in chapter 10. Look at the very beginning of the chapter. A little more elaboration. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, so that you may know that I am the Lord. Verse 3, So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Now, we're starting to scratch our head at this point. What in the world's going on here? You know, early in the plagues, it just seems like Pharaoh's just a really stubborn and hard-headed kind of fellow. But by the end of the sixth plague, there in the middle of chapter 9, it kind of looks like Pharaoh might be willing to relent a little bit. Maybe he'd be willing to let the people go, but but God stops him from that. That God hardens his heart for the purpose, chapter 10, verse 2, of just walloping Egypt some more. Well, what in the world's up with that? That makes us really, really uncomfortable. What's going on with all of this heart-hardening business? Well, let me share with you just two ideas that I believe help us out here. The first thing to think about is the idea that it is the Word of God that is hardening Pharaoh's heart. Think about just the Word. God's Word has a way of having a different effect on different people at different times. And when the text says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, that may just mean that God's Word, the Word that He had sent by His messengers, Moses and Aaron, that that was the causal agent, if you will, in the hardening process. In fact, I want you to hold your place here in Exodus. Would you find with me the book of Judges, please? In Judges chapter 7, you talk about the word harden as it's used in the Bible. We think we have a pretty good idea of what that word means. That word means, of course, to harden or to strengthen or to make firm. And in Judges chapter 7, that word is actually used. In Judges 7, this is the story of Gideon. And Gideon is told to go down and listen to what is going on in the camp of the Midianites. I want you to notice what it says here. In Judges chapter 7 and in verse 11, the Bible says there, Judges 7 verse 11, you shall, this is God speaking to Gideon, you shall hear what they say, hear what the Midianites say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened, hardened, made firm to go down against the camp. Did you catch that there? God says that the words that Gideon would hear, that it would strengthen him. It would strengthen his heart. It would give him resolve. It would give him firmness of character to go forward into battle. You see, words have an effect upon a person's life and on a person's heart. And so as we turn back to the book of Exodus, what may very well be going on when we read that Pharaoh hardened his heart and then sometimes we read that God hardened his heart? It may all actually just amount to really the very same thing. That what hardened the heart of Pharaoh is the Word of God and his refusal to submit to it. In fact, as you turn back to Exodus chapter 9, I think you can make that case very, very clear here in the ninth chapter. In Exodus 9, after Moses and Aaron, they come in and they announce that there's going to be this plague of hail. This is God's Word now to Pharaoh. In Exodus 9, look in verse 17. Exodus 9, 17, talking to Pharaoh, you... You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. I want you to please notice that Moses does not say, Now Pharaoh, I know that God is the one who's hardening your heart and He's doing that against your will. And I know that you really want to let these people go, but God is making you do the wrong thing because He's hardened your heart. That's not what Moses says. Moses points the finger and he says, You, you are the problem. You're the one causing all of this trouble down here. In fact, drop down to verse 27 of that chapter. In chapter 9, verse 27, Pharaoh actually admits that himself. In chapter 9, verse 27, Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron, and he said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people, we are in the wrong. Pharaoh says, I'm at fault. I'm the one that did this. I have sinned. This is an admission, just right out of Pharaoh's own mouth, that the hardening of his heart was self-inflicted. In fact, whatever smidgen of humility and remorse that Pharaoh maybe did have in this moment, uh, it quickly evaporated away. Drop on down to verse 34. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again, and he hardened his heart, he and his servant. I believe that all of these passages, they work together to say that Pharaoh was responsible for Pharaoh. And that this is not about God somehow making Pharaoh do something that he did not want to do. Pharaoh stubbornly resisted the Word of God and I think that's an explanation here that is worthy of consideration. Let me now offer you, before I leave this point, let me offer you a second explanation that is offered by several some have suggested that up until chapter 9 verse 12, when it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, that's the first time that it says that the Lord actually did that, that what that means is, is that means that God gave Pharaoh chances to repent up to that point. But then after that, Pharaoh forfeited his chance to do the right thing. And that by the time of the seventh plague, God essentially was saying, Pharaoh, sorry buddy, no more chances. I'm going to use you now to bring about glory to me so that everyone will know that I am the true and living God. And in fact, I want you to not get too uncomfortable with that idea because the New Testament actually says something about that. Would you find the book of Romans, please? In Romans chapter 9, Paul writes here about the sovereignty of God. In Romans chapter 9, Paul says that God does as God will do. He's God. And there's not a single one of us that have any standing or any place whatsoever to ever call God into question for what He does. In Romans chapter 9, look with me in verse 20. In Romans 9 and in verse 20, But who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Verse 21, Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? God is absolutely sovereign. He does what He pleases. And by the way, what is the example, what is the illustration that Paul uses to make that point emphatically? Well, look at the verses on top of it. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that My name might be proclaimed in all the earth, so then He has mercy on whomever He wills, and He hardens whomever He wills. God does as God desires. God does what is right and what is just to bring honor and glory to Himself. And it seems to me that wherever you come out on this thing, whichever one of those explanations just seems to to float your boat the best, whether you think it was the Word that hardened Pharaoh's heart, or whether you believe that God in some kind of direct way hardened Pharaoh's heart, both of those ideas still lead out to the same truth. And that is that disobeying God is dangerous, dangerous business. That you can't defeat God. You won't win against God. What you need to do is not resist the Lord. You need to submit to the Lord. And that is the lesson that Pharaoh just over and over and over refused to accept. And the longer that you resist, the longer that you push God away, then the harder and harder it's going to become to ever do what is right. And that is most evident, as you turn back to the book of Exodus, I think that's most evident in chapter 10. When the plague of locusts is threatened, in Exodus chapter 10, some of Pharaoh's very own servants, they come to him and they say, Pharaoh... What are you doing? What are you thinking? Exodus 10, look at verse 7. Exodus 10, verse 7. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man, Moses, how long shall he be a snare to us? Let them go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Pharaoh, buddy, have you lost your mind? You need to submit to the Lord. This God, We don't understand this God. We don't really know all about Him. But you know what? He seems to be the true God. Look at the calamity that's come upon us. And I would just say to you this evening very candidly that if you are not obeying the Lord, do not harden your heart to His Word. The more you do that, then the harder it will become for you to do what's right. There will be people around you. Just like there were people around Pharaoh who will come to you and they will beg with you and they will appeal to you and they will plead with you. Maybe your mom or your dad will appeal to you, young people. Maybe a good friend. Maybe a person who's been close to you all of your life. Maybe a complete stranger who knows your circumstances. They will come to you and they will say, please, please, don't you see that you have to prepare yourself for eternity? You've got to obey the Lord. You've got to submit to His will. You can't just keep pushing Him away because it's just going to become harder and harder to ever do what's right. I've known people. I presently know people just like this. I I mean, maybe I shouldn't be comparing folks to Pharaoh, but I'll tell you, I know people who are just as stubborn as he is. People who have resisted God for so long throughout their lives. I know people who have never become Christians. they pushed God away. And I know people as well who were Christians but have fallen away and they continue to push the Lord away. And it did not matter what circumstances arose in their lives, the kinds of events and circumstances that the Lord will often use to shake people by the collar and wake them up. It did not matter what anybody said to them. That Word that was spoken to them, the Word of God, it just bounced right off of them like Teflon. They were utterly hardened in their hearts. Don't let that be you. The story of Pharaoh is a cautionary tale that resisting God, resisting the call of the Gospel, resisting His Word, it is dangerous and ultimately, it's utterly futile because it will be fatal. Finally then this evening, Turn all the way back to chapter 5 of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 5, one of the temptations that come whenever you're the preacher and you're preaching on really any of these great Old Testament stories is that as a preacher you end up wanting to draw out and make so many points and so many applications from all of the little details that are given in the text. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, but one of the side effects of that is that what happens in all of that point-making is that the main thing kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And this evening, you'll notice, I've purposely stayed away from making 20 or 30 points about these chapters here. And instead, I want our minds to be able to focus on the main thing. And the main thing that we learn from the plagues is that God desires to be known. God wants people to know Him. In Exodus 5, that is absolutely clear. Look in verse 1. In Exodus 5, verse 1, afterward Moses and Aaron, they went and they said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Look at Pharaoh's response, verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. What then follows in chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 is God's attempt to answer Pharaoh's question right there in Exodus 5 and verse 2. God says, Pharaoh, you want to know who I am? I'll show you exactly who I am. I am Jehovah. I am the one true and living God. In fact, in Exodus chapter 6, look in the next chapter, look at what God says to Moses in Exodus 6, look in verse 7. In Exodus 6 and in verse 7, God says to Moses, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You see, not only was God wanting to teach the Egyptians who He was, But Israel, they would learn who God is from all of these various plagues. Think about the Israelites. They've been in bondage for all these hundreds of years. They certainly know something about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But did they really know Him? Did they understand His magnificence? Did they understand His power and His glory? Did they know all of His commands? Well, if they didn't, they would soon learn. The plagues teach Israel. The plagues teach Egypt. The plagues teach us who God is. Just watch that at work. That's emphasized over and over again. Chapter 7 again. Chapter 7, verse 5. Chapter 7, verse 5. The Lord says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Drop down to verse 17. Verse 17 of chapter 7. Thus says the Lord, By this... You shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 8 verse 10. Chapter 8 verse 10. And he said, response to, when do you want me to take the frogs away? Pharaoh says tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Verse 22 of chapter 8. Verse 22. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people will dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. Verse 14, For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Chapter uh, 9, verse 16. Verse 16, But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. about chapter 10 now? Chapter 10, verse 1, read it a moment ago. Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Can we go ahead and dip into this week's coming reading? Chapter 11 now. Chapter 11, verse 7. Chapter 11, verse 7, Not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. This is God's school. And the plagues are How to Know God 101. That was God's class for Egypt. That was God's class for Israel. That is what God's class is even for us. That's one of the starting points. God wants to be known. He is not hiding in some closet somewhere up in the corner of the cosmos. No, He wants people to know who He is. He wants people to know His power and His majesty and His might and His magnificence. He wants people to know what He likes and what He doesn't like. He wants people to know what He is all about. He wants people to know that He gives His Word and that He also is the promise keeper of His Word. In fact, these plagues, some of you may already know this, But these plagues seem to be a very deliberate and emphatic strike against the Egyptian deities of that day and that time. The Egyptians worshipped many false idols and false gods. And the plagues, one by one, seem to be addressing many of those false gods. For example, the Nile River was seen as the bloodstream of Osiris. God said, you know what? I'll literally make it the bloodstream. They had as well a god called Hecht. And that god Hect was actually an image in the form of a frog. Think about how that worked with the plague of the frogs. The apis bull was one of the chief gods of the land. Everybody looked up to the bull as one a powerful god of the land. Think about how insignificant he would have seemed as all of those livestock died one by one when the pestilence came down. Set was supposed to protect the crops, Think about how that worked whenever uh, the locusts came and started just devouring all the crops. Horus was the god of the sun. Where was Horus? when God made darkness to fall so dark that it could be felt. What God was announcing was that He hates idols. He hates false gods. And God wanted Egypt to know that their images of stone, their images of marble, their images of, of, of silver or gold or whatever they were made from, that that was not God. All those other gods, they're just fake, they're phony, they are powerless before the one true and living God. So Pharaoh asked the question, Who is the Lord? You picture Pharaoh asking that so condescendingly. Who is the Lord? God says, I'll tell you. His name is Jehovah. He wants to be known. And that, I believe, is maybe the most powerful truth that we learn from the story of the plague. And so, yes, there may be some outbreak of Ebola or Zika or some other disease that the media decides to come along and dub that a plague. But what we just got done studying, what we read last week and what we'll finish reading this week, it reminds us that there will never be anything quite like what the book of Exodus describes when God laid His powerful hand on Egypt to proclaim His majesty and His might and His magnificence that He is God. I hope this evening that by spending just a few minutes exploring these big ideas, I hope that it has caused us and helped us to let these kinds of truths sink deeper into our hearts so that we, so that we can truly know the Lord. We're going to sing a song of invitation in just a moment. And that invitation song is designed to encourage anyone who does not know the Lord or maybe anyone this evening who maybe once knew the Lord but you're now living a life that seems to indicate you don't really know the Lord to come back to Him. This is a moment and this is an opportunity to serve Him. I want to go back to that second point about the danger of resisting and pushing God away. Are there people in this audience tonight who are doing that? People here tonight who maybe you've heard the message of the gospel many, many, many times before. And I don't know what your excuse is. I don't know what reason or what defense you've you've built up to somehow hide behind this wall and to continue to push God away. Man, those walls need to come tumbling down tonight. You need to submit. You need to surrender to the Lord. Once again, the providence of God is at work because our song of invitation, I didn't even ask Chris to lead it, is the song, I Surrender All. And that's exactly what the Lord is calling you to do. Not just to surrender, maybe a little bit. Think about it. You're surrendering a little bit tonight just by being here in this assembly. You've surrendered a little bit of your time to God. It's not enough. The Lord wants you to surrender all, to give Him the entirety of your life, the very essence of your being, to live for Him and serve Him. Can we help somebody this evening to confess their faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Can we help somebody tonight to start serving the Lord in a better way? Pray with you, and encourage you, and help you to be a better Christian. It may just be, though, maybe you just got questions. I see some folks here for the very first time. I've never, uh, I don't know what your religious background is, and so maybe you just got questions about the Bible, about God, about salvation. Maybe you just want to sit down and talk. This is an invitation to do that as well. You come and grab me after services, we'll sit down and we'll just learn from the Bible what God wants us to do. Whatever your circumstance may be, let's surrender all to the Lord. Let's stop resisting Him. Let's give our all to Him right now. Do that while we stand and while we sing.